The final season of Power Book 2, Ghost, begins. And for Tariq St. Patrick, it's the moment of truth. In the wake of being betrayed, pushed out of the drug game, and almost killed, Tariq is out for revenge. Will he prove to be like his father and do whatever is to be done to protect his family and his future? Or is he his own man? Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now only on Stars and the Stars app. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears. Real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth-building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Family, what's happening? I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of Street Politicians, the place, the place where the, the streets, streets and, and politics, politics meet. So exciting times. My book, State of Emergency, is it's out. It's live. My side, I had a moment where folks started calling me yesterday saying that they received their books. And I got really, really, really emotional because it took a lot. Um, this process really humbled me. I'll talk a little bit later about what it did and how it humbled me. Uh, but, you know, I um, have always known that a book was in me. And there were people who told me to write one a long time ago, but it wasn't the right time. So State of Emergency is out. This book has been dedicated to my child. So that's a whole nother thing. Congratulations. The book is dope. You know, I've got a little sneak peek. And, you know, it's celebration, man, you know. State of emergency, man. And with the state of emergency, whatever way to start our show over is just like talk about things that are going on in this world that that contribute to it being a state of emergency. You know, um, I was looking in the news the other day, and this young girl, 40 cows daughter's been missing. Wow. For a while. It's just crazy when we think about it, man. So many things, so much death is happening. We college got, student. She's a college student too. College student in Buffalo just disappeared. You know, nobody has seen her. You know, Forty Cal, somebody I know from the hip hop industry. You know, and it's, it's I, I just can only imagine what he must be going through. We just want to, if you see her, if you have any information, please reach out. You know, and and our regards and our love and our prayers go out to. 40 yeah. Cal and the rest of her family. For sure. For sure. That's, that is very touching. As a young girl who used to be a runaway, um, you know, I now understand how traumatizing that was for my parents. Um, and, you know, I don't wish it on anyone. And my mom would say, my dad, that they don't wish it on anyone for their child to just disappear, you know. And I, and I did that several times to them. I was a terrible kid. I just... You know, so I call my parents now and I just apologize for everything. Every week 
I call them and I start from A and go to Z saying, I'm sorry, mom, dad. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I did this. Sorry I did that because um, I put them through a lot. Before we get into the rest of the show, I'm trying to understand in my thought of the day. I don't even know all of what Kevin Samuels has said because I don't listen to him. I think maybe one day I actually listened to something that he said and I felt um, the way in which he was speaking, um, while there may have been a truthful line here or there, it really was very disrespectful and condescending, uh, particularly to black women. And so I just turned him off, I tuned him out and that's it. Why are people listening to sharing content of and critiquing Kevin Samuels if we don't like him or if many women feel disgusted with the things that he says, why not just turn him off? Uh, because that's what I've done. I've just, I, I tune it out. When I see him on my timeline, I scroll fast. I don't give him more attention than he actually deserves. I got an answer for you. Sure. It might not be one that you like, right? It's like asking the same question. Why do women date men that treat them like shit? Why do women constantly date the same type of dude that they say, oh, he's disrespectful to me. He says this to me. But you, you constantly see a lot of women, not all women. So this is not all women. There are women who, like, unlike yourself, you say you, they, he don't say things that make you feel right. You don't like what he says. So you tune him out. The woman who are constantly watching him Although they say they don't like what he's saying, they 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 actually have they actually have something that they're attracted to in what he's saying, right? And when you listen to Kevin Samuels, I don't like the delivery. You know, they are you know, and and sometimes people laugh at it because he's condescending and you know he's um he says things in a manner and he is like he's um trying to scold the woman or trying to. Do, do things that degrade them. And I, and I agree with that. But when you listen to what he's actually saying, there are a lot of facts inside what he's saying. I just think he has to change his delivery. So I think it's a, a multitude of things. I think a lot of women, although they say they don't like to be treated a certain way, a lot of women do. And they constantly date the same men and they constantly seek the same information and the same content that they say they don't like. And we've seen that throughout history. And then there is the truthful part of it, the parts of it that he says that actually make sense that they're actually trying to get information from because women are still trying to figure men out. They don't listen to their own men. A lot of women, not all women, there are women who be in a house with a man all day and he could be saying, hey, I want you to do this. So I don't like this and that. And they ignore what he says. But Kevin Samuels is saying the exact same thing that the man you've been living with for, four, for 10 years and you be like, oh, I'm starting to get it now. But you didn't listen to the man who said it. So it's, 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 it's a combination of things. Well, but my thing is, the, I, now I'm, I'm recalling the one time, first of all, I don't even know where Kevin Samuels came from. But I'm recalling the one time that I did actually listen to him. And it was uh, where he was telling a woman that she like wasn't good enough or wasn't attractive enough to get the type of man that she wanted. I'm trying to figure out from you, what is so truthful about that? Because when you say not attractive enough, who gets to determine that? Only the man 
who actually is either interested in the woman or not. And, the, and, 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 and being attractive means more than just how you look on the outside. So maybe I didn't listen to it deeply enough because as soon as I heard that, I turned it off. But I'm just trying to understand where is it that he's saying things that's truthful? We need our brother Angelo in this conversation uh, because <laughs> Lord definitely, definitely. he got plenty to say about this topic. But I'm just trying to understand what is he saying that is so truthful? You know, in those instances, the, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? So he made his own personal decision based on what he's seen as beauty. And that's, and that's you know, subjective. He's not, if she's not trying to get with him, then his opinion on how she looks physically doesn't even matter, right? He gave her an assessment based on his personal preference, right? But in totality, what happens is women have a criteria for men, right? We're, women, there are not all women, because we're not going to lump all women into anything, but there are a particular category of women, right? There is the hot girl summer category. There is what we hear in the music, there's what Megan Thee Stallion is talking, what Cardi, what they talking about. They want a man, broke niggas don't deserve no, I don't ask, right, right? So th there's a concept that a man does not have a certain amount of money, right? Doesn't have a certain amount of possessions, doesn't possess certain things, doesn't look a certain way or whatever, then they're not interested in that said man. And women applaud that all the time. They repeat those same parts of the song because that's what they feel. And a man might say, well, who gives her the right to say the amount of money I got is not good enough for who? It's not good enough for that individual woman. Just like the man is able to look at a woman and say, she's not physically attractive enough for me. Or if I'm saying if I was a man who had all those things, would I be interested in, in giving those things to this woman? So it's subjective. So he's able to give his opinion based on if, if he is, I don't know what his financial situation, I don't know any of those things, but he's able to give his assessment coming from a person that if I was in that position, would you be someone that would be a candidate to receive those things? Just like women are able to make those same assessments about a man that they would deal with based on what he looks like or what he has. Mm. I mean, I guess I hear what you're saying. I'm just, I'm just not sure that any of this is really that helpful. That's just my opinion. I understand everything you said. And I do think that there is going to like, like I, I spend most of my time uh, debating politics and talking about the political aspect and the social justice aspect of, of the world. And so sometimes you kind of like, you miss out on the other conversations. But these and are social people, justice things because now him and Dr. Umar Johnson right. have a beef. And Dr. Umar is saying that Kevin well, Sanders- let's not call it a beef, but they've been having- I mean, they having, they're a, having back a back and forth, not yeah. a beef. But they're having you know, a disagreement to where Umar is saying that Kevin Samuels is making money off the, you know, diminishing- The meaning, yeah. The meaning Black women. I know? agree. And, and there, there's definitely an argument for that, you know, and I, what I, what I say is this, right? Everybody has something, a way that they communicate, right? Some people don't get a message certain ways. I don't, I don't need Kevin Samuels to deliver that. You don't need Kevin Samuels to deliver a message in the man. If you probably was having a conversation with him, it probably wouldn't last two seconds because the minute he says, you'd be like, what? More and more, he'd be done cut you off. 
the woman that he is engaging, right? They actually are, if you go to Kevin Samuels Instagram live, it's like 10, 15,000 people on there at any given time because they're entertained. You know, they're actually getting something from it. So maybe it's just entertainment. The internet, like I said, the internet has become a cesspool as it is. And a lot of these things are, you know, just a result of where we are in society. So, you know, Kevin Samuels is entertaining to some people. Some people don't enjoy his particular form of entertainment. Dr. Umar Johnson feels like is demeaning woman. And I could definitely see where that point of view comes from. Like you said, if it's somebody saying something that you don't agree with, just tune out. Yeah. And I think it is, I think it is definitely entertainment for too many people, but there are also some women who have been unable to find the love of their lives. Um, the, a per, you know, someone who's always had low self-esteem, who's never really truly believed in herself. Um, and some men who are, who are inflated in a way by the things that he's saying. And I think it, it seeps into the mentality and it may have a negative impact. So, you know, I'm, I'm a no for Kevin Samuels, not saying again, that I don't believe there should be healthy, sarcastic, funny, um, whatever debate, but I do feel like the level of the tone and some of the ways in which he delivers his messaging is pretty damaging. So that's just my opinion. I, I agree. I, I can, you know, I can definitely see that, but I just also want women to understand that when we hear music, you know, we hear a lot of artists and women talking about a man has to have this and if he ain't got that and he ain't doing this, and our women repeat those things, they also hurt a man's self-esteem, right? And a man, a man are trying to live up to a certain caliber in which they think women want. Or, you know, they don't feel like they fit into a category because they don't have all this jewelry and all this money and they don't look a certain way and, and certain things. So men are dealing with those same insecurities. I ain't rich, but I want somebody to love me for what I am. Well, you got to be able to get the hotel, honey. You, you got to be able... To, you know what I mean? Take me out to dinner at least. You know what I'm saying? But you know, it's all in the eyes of the beholder, as you said. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here, and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides, loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family's safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more, connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and an Apple Watch 
box for 99 cents per month each. AT&T, connecting changes everything. Limited time offer requires 0% APR, 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. That's how we own it! And with that said, that brings us to one of my favorite segments, The Streets is Talking. This dope book that my sister has dropped it is out now, state of emergency. If you do not have it, if you have not ordered it, make sure you go get it right, right now. Congratulations, Tamika, again, on this dope book. You know, I know what you put into this. You know, it, it is compelling. So many different things in this book that is gonna keep you in tune. It's gonna educate you. It's gonna bring you to different emotions. I'm in there, you know, so many different things. And I'm in there, you know, and there's so many, and, and I'm in there and I'm just playing. But the book is dope. And to talk about the state of emergency, we have a lot of our friends here today, people who are on the front lines of this movement, who've been doing this work for years. You know, we always have friends. You know, unfortunately, our friends are the ones doing the work. So we're going to get into this panel, this esteemed panel we have today with the frontline essential workers, the ones who are on the ground. Yes, our friends. And I'm so excited to have this group of individuals to celebrate with me that my book has just been released. If anyone um, hasn't gotten your copy yet, you can click links and bios and get all the information right here for where you can get your copy of State of Emergency. Today, we're being joined by um, a group of individuals who know so well that this country is in trouble and have been doing a lot of work to ensure that all of our people are held. Let's introduce really quickly because you know street politicians, our segments sometimes can be short, but we're gonna bring each and every one of these individuals back to give them their own segments to talk about the issues. Um, we have Eddie Bacanegra, uh, who is with Heartland Alliance in Chicago. Carmen Perez, our dear sister, uh, she's, she is an honorary co-chair of Until Freedom. We're honorary co-chairs of Justice League and the Gathering for Justice. Thank you, Carmen. Erica Ford of Life Camp and Pastor Mike of Live Free. Let me just start by saying that in state of emergency, I did something that is controversial to some, but well understood to, to others, which is to have Cardi B and Angela Davis 
write the forward of my book by being in conversation with one another. There are a lot of people who said they didn't understand it. There are other people who get it quickly. That Cardi, uh, first of all, I am a mix between Cardi B and Angela Davis on any given day. That's my reality. That's my truth, right? And I live by that. I believe you can twerk and work at the same time. And it's, as long as you do the work. Um, but the conversation that happens is where Cardi is basically asking Angela Davis, because I am not buttoned up, I don't have it all together. Is there space at the table in this fight for justice next to you, someone who we respect so much? And Angela Davis replies to Cardi um, in a way that is so powerful and intriguing, where she's basically saying, not only are you welcome, but it is your duty to be involved, um, that it, it matters not how we entertain, it matters though what we do to fight for the protection of our rights and for generations to come. And she tells this powerful story about um, a conversation that she had while sitting in a jail cell with Nina Simone. Now, I didn't know you could visit people in their jail cell at one time, but clearly Angela Davis could have visits in her jail cell. And Nina Simone was there. And I'm not gonna tell you much, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna tell you about the conversation because I need you to get the book and read it. But it's something that is so impactful. And I think this group of individuals, uh, really um, you all exemplify that we bring the streets and the suites together every single day. Just recently, Pastor Mike, there was some real powerful stuff that happened in Washington, DC. You and Erica have been a part of uh, the efforts to get this administration to focus on gun violence and not to wait until we have 20, 30, 40 more incidents, whether they be mass shootings or the shootings that we see happening in our communities every day. Tell us about it and what do we need to be doing as a community to be involved in this new work that we are really, really celebrating because it is truly uh, transformative and historic what the administration has done. Well, first, it's great to be with you both. Uh, Y'all are comrades and homies, legends, living legends, making sure we organizing the streets and activating the streets, the people closest to the pain. And so um, all of us come from uh, the communities that we know, we love, and we care about and are often left out of the conversation. Um, we have indeed embarked and seen a historic movement by this administration. Folks who have understood that um, if we did indeed put all of our reputations, our hard work on the line to get this administration in office, um, this administration owes the streets, they owe the hood, they owe black people, they owe brown people, unequivocally, unapologetically, full stop. And we realized that for many of the communities where we come from, gun violence, intra-communal violence, interpersonal violence that rises to the lethality of using weapons that take lives, is often only met with one singular response, and that's policing, um, that's incarceration, that's more violence. Um, and we figured what would it look like for us to make sure that uh, the Biden administration lived into the commitment that they made um, during their own campaigning, along with many others in the Democratic Party. Uh, in the early part of this year, uh, the, the team had to sit down with Susan Rice and uh, Cedric Richmond and put on the table a $5 billion ask to invest community um, uh, violence initiatives, to invest community violence initiatives. And over the course of a couple of months, they were able to uh, not only say yes to that investment, but also 
uh, change about 25 programs inside five agencies to open up uh, about $10 billion more dollars. So this is a historic moment. It's a historic movement. Um, we certainly have to get the resources down to the streets and to the communities and the front lines and make sure, you know, big white groups or, uh, you know, uh, uh, poverty pimps don't come and raise that money. Um, but, you know, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step, and this is one huge big step. And it's a testament to the power of the people organizing and working together. Eddie, listening to what Pastor Mike just said, and you were a part of this uh, cohort, if you will, fighting to ensure that there are resources getting to the ground. What does this mean for the work that you're doing in a place like Chicago? I think first and foremost, we have to understand, right, that for too, for too long, right, the issue of gun violence uh, has been plaguing our communities for, for way too long. So if you think about the west side of Chicago, the south side of Chicago, two areas, right, that are typically known for high increases of violence. Um, uh, and if I think about the west side as an example, in the 1960s, when we had the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King marching the streets, there was a lot of protesting, a lot of um, rioting, a lot of looting. Those communities, 56 years later, are still um, recovering from that. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, demonstrates, right, 50, 60 years of disinvestment in these communities. Like, the reason why we see so much high prevalent violence in specific areas across the country, and we're not surprised they're black and brown communities, is because of the same reasons, right, that we see systemic oppressions that we're grappling with today. Like we are literally reaping, right, the, the collateral consequences of bad policies from the 1980s and the 1990s, whether it was war on drugs or whether it's the child predator laws that under Clinton administration also put out there, right? So, so again, this is by, by no coincidence. I think the fact that we're able to encourage the, the Biden administration, the first president to actually commit $5 billion to gun violence speaks to the testament, right, of what a small group of individuals, very grassroots individuals, are able to actually continue to advocate and push forward for these communities. Those dollars benefit programs like Greater Chicago, benefit programs that are taking place in Oakland, California, in Richmond, that are taking place in East St. Louis, New York, and so on. And the bottom line at the end of the day, right, is that we have to continue to invest in these communities in a way that makes sense in terms of addressing the trauma that many of the individuals that we're serving uh, actually need, mm -hmm. in terms of addressing the economic instability that exists in our communities, it's also eradicating poverty. Thank you. So one more question for you. Um, so recently, a reality star, an artist named Safari, tweeted when the seven-year-old baby was killed there in Chicago just recently, young lady, um, he tweeted that he wanted to know why people were not so upset about the death of a little girl and, and in comparison to how we protest against police. Um, and I tweeted back at him and said, there are a number of organizations in Chicago that actually need support and have been doing the work. And I think that it is um, it is, it's a disingenuous narrative, if you will. It could seem as though people are not out there trying to uh, decrease gun violence, who also understand that we have to stop the violence from police in our communities as well. Um, I, I think it's false narratives, and I don't think that they should be put in the same context because we need people to do both. So what are you seeing? 
Are you seeing that you're getting the type of support you need from artists, entertainers, and others? Or is there a call that you need to make today that we can share to say, if people want to help, there are ways that they can get involved and work with folks on the ground there in Chicago? You know, Tamika, the, the incident of this young little girl, seven-year-old, right? We have to understand a couple of things. And I also have to be very careful in my response with this because the, the incident happened in one of the communities that British Chicago was in. In fact, we service that particular population. And a lot of our partners in those communities have also provided services in the past or even the father in this case. So here's what I'll say. The actions that many of the men and women in our communities, right? Isn't just, doesn't happen overnight. The father in this case uh, of this young little girl, you know, the day before that, he was at a cemetery desecrating, right, uh, a plot in which another young man was killed not long ago. And his friends, right, and this is posted on Facebook and, you know, and so on. So his friends, you know, even though he's deceased, they still have tremendous love for this individual. And who am I to argue against that? Mm. So, well, I don't, well, I, I don't agree that the actions that, that these people are, young people are taking, right, to avenge their loved ones, so on, is the healthiest way. But when you think about generations of trauma and generations of lack of love or support or the way they, they you know, manifest this particular kind of love, um, mm -hmm. demonstrates the impact and the need, right, to continue to provide healing spaces for our communities. And it is my understanding that the people who, who were involved with this and not realize there was a young girl in the car. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, I, I seriously doubt the father even realized, you know, to what extent his comments were going to have, you know, the impact that we're going to have in his own personal life with his family. What good does it do for a seven-year-old to be buried at seven years old? What good does it do for us to point the finger at people, right? And that's the problem. When you think about what happened there and you think about uh, this young 13-year-old kid that was also just killed a week before that, you know, by police, uh, uh, Adam Toledo, right away, we want to point the finger. We, we want to put a face to where the problem's at. And what we don't do is that we don't reflect among ourselves and what, are, what, are, what have been our shortfalls. You know, why instead of taking, it the, taking a negative approach, why not ask yourself, what can I do to support this issue? What can I do to move things forward, right? And that's the unfortunate part because we're quickly willing to put the, the blame on somebody else. You know, hey, they'll say, Anyway, Adam was outside 2.30 in the morning. What was he doing? And I'm like, well, shit, did you know that he had ran away from home? You know, they want to blame the mother, right, for what happened, right? And I asked myself, do you even know the mother's situation? We want, to, we want to blame why isn't people lifting up the concern, right? Well, the truth is, I would invite anybody to come to our neighborhoods every single time somebody's killed because there is community activism behind it. There is, you know, clergy coming together. There, there is institutions coming together to lift up the memory of that individual. You know, that that is very, very, very telling because I say that all the time. We have to change the realities of the community before we can ask the community to change. You know, and that brings me to my sister, Carmen Perez, who I've known for a number of years and how she does this work. And listening to this story, I know I, it's personal things that you've told me about yourself and your sister, you know, her, her losing her life to violence in the streets you identifying with gang violence and growing up in a gang culture in, in LA, I mean, in, in California and, and being able to identify that, then utilizing that knowledge of that to transform and do the ending mass incarceration 
and child incarceration work. So I want you to speak to that and and and, and this this narrative that when we talk about defunding the police, there's a lot of people who have an issue with that. And when we try to explain to them that defunding the police means refunding the community and giving us the resources and things that we need to change the cultures in our communities that will stop the violence. You know, so I want you to speak, just try to tie all those things in because I know how you have don't have a lot of time, but I know how brilliant you are and I know how passionate you are about all of these things. So give us a little outlook on that. How do we tie these things in and how do we give people an understanding of how these things affect in our community? You know, I learned restorative justice from my father when they took my sister um, and the police and the aid, the, the district attorney asked my family if they wanted to press charges. And my father said, I cannot take another mother's child away. I, I think, you know, no family ever imagines that happening to them. Um, but so for me, dedicating my life to working with people that are incarcerated or formerly incarcerated, um, working to uh, stop violence in communities, not just um, in California, um, but also in the prisons or when I travel to El Salvador to support a peace process, I think it's all interconnected, right? But the police are not creating safety when so many Black and Brown people are being hurt and killed. And this trauma is coming at a great expense. For example, here in New York City, the NYPD budget has ballooned to between six to $10 billion a year. What this means is that essentially we have invest billions of dollars for a system to keep us safe. And instead it over polices our communities and creates more harm. We can shift our tax dollars into alternatives like community violence intervention and prevention, mental health and wellness services, substance use counseling, after school programming, and many other types of supportive investments in safety and wellness. Imagine if Makia Bryant's phone call for help had been met with people who calmed and de-escalated the situation and got the teenagers to talk to one another, that's the way we create safety by meeting the needs of our communities and it would cost much less than the current system of policing does. Exactly. And speaking about showing up, there's nobody that shows up more than my sister Erica Ford, man. She's been on the front line for this movement so long. And you know, what she brings to it is exactly what Carmen was speaking of. Those people who can get in front of the violence, those people that interrupt the violence. That's why this is important when we talk about defunding the police and refunding the communities is giving people like Erica Ford, who is one of the architects of the crisis management system in New York City, the, the proper funds and resources necessary to protect our communities, to make sure she's the one of the people that's taking the guns out of the hands of the children, that's getting in front of. See, a lot of the police don't come to our communities until after the violence has already acted, until it's time to arrest somebody, until it's time to put somebody in jail. We need people who get in front of it. And Erica Ford is one of those people. And I want you to speak to why it is important that we give the resources to the communities to protect and, and govern our own. When you speak on, on why it is important, because we don't have an alternative, right? When, when I looked at that young girl who got shot, my team, we do that all the time right? Uh, butcher knife in one hand, bleach in the other, 25 girls going at it, right? Um, and what we do is we get in the middle and we, we intermediate and we separate. When those police came, 
one police had his hand on the guns, the other one was standing there like they didn't know what was going on. If all of them would have moved in and grabbed individuals and held them separately apart and mediated and talked through, that's what we do, right? We have to get to the heart of like Eddie was talking about, we have generational trauma. And so you can't deal with generational trauma by putting more trauma on a community. And that is what happens when you call a hammer every time to deal with a heart. You're dealing with heart pain with a hammer. You're trying to beat the heart into something that can't happen, right? The two don't mix. And so we have to get healers. We have to get credible messengers. We have to get credible clinicians, interventionists to come into the community and work with those who don't know how to deal with their pain, who's going out in the community and looking at drugs and guns and gangs as, as the vehicle to which they can heal and they can't, you know? And so what we do is, is work with folks to, to not only transition mindset, but to place them in opportunities that can take their lives to another level. So we, you wanna be a, a, a chef, we hook you up with the top chefs. And that brings me to, you know, either one of you can chime in on this. And, and there's this narrative, right? And I don't know who painted it, where it comes from, is that this work that we do, that the trauma that we take on is somehow in hopes to profit off the death of our own people, right? And it's the weirdest narrative in the world. And it's like, how are we supposed to help our people, right? If we don't have the resources to help, if we're getting up, you know, we're going out there, we're willing to risk our lives on the front line. We're willing to take the, the, the backlash. We're willing to risk our freedom. We're willing to do all of these things. And there are people saying, because we need resources to do those things, that means that we're capitalizing off the death of our own people. What do you think about that statement? Well, and can I just add in the other component? So they say that we're capitalizing um, also because we use media as a way to bring attention to these families and to their situations. Someone said to me the other day, why are we having a birthday celebration for um, Ahmad Arbery. Why do we have an event for Brianna Khan for Brianna Taylor? And you know, my position is you could say you don't like the language. You could say, well, the title was bad, and maybe you shouldn't use the word bash as for a birthday. You should use celebration. But first of all, we supported the families and things that they want to do for their children. Um, Ahmad Arbery's mother is the person who wanted to do a birthday celebration for her son because she does not want to be sad every single birthday that comes around. She wants to change the narrative around her son and not have him as just the guy who was killed, but someone who had a life who liked to celebrate. And as we help her to do that, um, you know, we we have experienced those people who say, well, this is clout chasing, and that confuses me. So both of you, if you could talk about that. We have this narrative that we blame people for, for their job, right? And, and this is our job. This is our life, but this is our job, right? And our job, and so the, the EMS worker, right? Because do they, what, what do we say about them? The mortician, the funeral home. Do we say, okay, you are like, there's a funeral home and you make money off of the death of people. That's what they do. That's a whole industry that makes money, the flowers, the obituaries, the people, the, like the, the organists. People want to bury their families in a nice way. So it's, it's part of death, you know? And, and it's unfortunate 
for me because I really do, I, I don't get the concept that people actually are fighting to try to make sure these things don't constantly happen so that we we you we um we are you we actually allow these families and situations to utilize us and our platform Correct. to bring attention to it Correct. as somehow we're doing something wrong and it's the weirdest Correct. concept to me. And and people should celebrate their children, right? They should not like they should they should feel the greatness. Her her son's birthday is Mother's Day and birthday, right? It's the same time. So who's gonna be with her to go, sit with you know like who's gonna help her during that time, right? And, what and you know, is the process of celebrating that young man. When we went into this area, um, Pastor Mike was saying that 17 people were shot a year, four people were killed a year. And through, nobody's talking about because of our work, we were able to stop that narrative from happening. And you know, if you're from our communities and you've grown up in a neighborhood, people celebrate uh, the life of their loved one whenever they die. I mean, we put candles out, we have barbecues like they still here. So I feel like some of these people speaking on this must not be from the neighborhood and they don't understand how we, mem we memorialize people's memories. I, and I'll, I'll use the most respectable family we, our communities revere. I remember Dr. Bernice King spoke at the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's um, killing in Memphis. And she said, um, I think people don't appreciate that although my dad died, Many of us have never been able to bury him. We understand critiques. Sometimes we have to listen to different perspectives to be able to fine tune our work. But we also know what makes sense and what doesn't. And what does not make sense is for people who have been out here for the, the amount of years that all of us collectively have been on the ground to stop doing this work because other people are just mad for whatever their reasons are. We're not gonna do that. We have to keep on going forward. So I appreciate y'all so much for spending today with me. I appreciate you all supporting a state of emergency and Erica, you and I are gonna do a street sign-in. We're gonna be yeah. on the street signing books. Um, and also, Pastor Mike, you'll be joining us on the tour. Um, so thank you so very much for the love. And it is truly a state of emergency, but there are some people who are out here fighting. And I do believe that change is going to be in our future, whether we live to see it or not, but our children and their children will experience it. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides, loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family's safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. 
Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR. 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises, or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year? Their year. These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. Those are people who I really respect. I particularly appreciate Eddie um, and the work that he's doing in Chicago because I know how difficult it is. And in fact, the crisis management system that exists in New York City that I was a part of helping Erica and A.T. Mitchell and others to develop, um, there was a similar program called Cure Violence that was in, in Chicago. And eventually it was defunded and the program is no longer functioning. Uh, there are many groups, though, that have continued to do the work and have sought out other ways of getting resources, some city uh, money, but mostly a lot of partnerships with other institutions, um, other corporations, and so on and so forth. And they're continuing to do the work. And Eddie is one of those individuals who works with many hats. And he's doing you know, some real great things there, trying to save lives. And it's, it's a lot, you know, and especially when you're in a city where everybody focuses on what's happening in Chicago, as if to say that there's not gun violence in St. Louis or, you know, gun violence even in New York. Since the pandemic, I think violence is up all over the nation. Um, but it's good to know that there are soldiers out there on the front lines. And certainly we know Erica, uh, Erica Ford, Pastor Mike, um, and Carmen Perez, and of course, Eddie Bocanera, Bocanera, he told me how to say his name yeah. properly, uh, that they are out there on the front line. So it was good to have them, but I think we have to have each one of them to come back when we can give them a lot of time to, to really dissect and get into their issues and their areas. And we want to track that five, $5 billion too. Like, where is it going? $5 billion to allocate funds to community-based organizations that stop violence. You know, that's that's a lot, you know, and that's something good that the administration is doing. We want to talk about that. But that brings me to my, I don't get it. The same way we're able to say in good faith, hey, this was a good thing that President Biden did. He $5 billion allocated in communities because we, do, we definitely need those things to give our children, our community, just a fighting chance at survival, not even live, just mere survival. But there's also this narrative, you know, because I, for one, was not going to let have 
45 stay in office. So I was going to do whatever it took to get 45 out of office. I didn't think he was presidential. I didn't think he represented. I thought every day that he was in office that our nation was in imminent danger. So my whole thing was he has to go at, the, at, at no expense. There was no expense going to be barred. He was going to get out. So whoever was running against him by osmosis was going to get my vote. So there are these people who believe that since I voted for this administration, that when they do something wrong, say something wrong, aren't strong on issues that I need them to be strong on, that I should not have the right to say something about it. I really don't get that. And the reason why you vote for somebody, right? Because you feel like you should be able to hold them accountable. Nobody's going to be perfect. Nobody's going to do everything you want. But as someone who votes for somebody, right, you literally have the right because this is a candidate that you wanted to be office. Whether you wanted or not, you utilize your vote. So your voice matters with that person. That, that, that person needs you. You understand that that person knows that they need you. So you have every right to hold that person accountable. So I really don't get where this narrative comes from that because you voted for them, you should be quiet now or you can't say nothing because they did something that we might not agree with or said something we, not, we don't agree with. A lot of people one, don't know how the process works. And two, there are a lot of folks out there that just want to have something negative to say. And that's just the reality that we deal with. We absolutely have the right to hold accountable uh, any president, first of all. So if you are a president and you're in office um, and you are collecting and operating with the, the, the taxpayer dollars, we all have a responsibility to um, make sure that, you know, that our voices are being heard. But your voice is most powerful when you can attach it to your vote and your dollars, which means that you helped um, to get a, a candidate elected, especially locally, uh, where you have used your resources um, to uh, donate um, and invest in campaigns. That is one big way that people absolutely pay attention uh, to you and your voice. And they also want your, your vote. So those are the two things that elected officials care about. You know, some, sometimes protests uh, and, and our social media activism can help to amplify the message, but it falls short if it's not attached to a vote and or our dollars or lack thereof, meaning that we take our resources from one particular candidate or from one corporation or from one entity and move it, shift it to another one. Exactly. You know, I think, like you said, the low propensity voters and those who don't vote, like maybe you should be quiet, you know, because you, you've made a conscious decision that you're not even involved in the process. So you just got to take what you get. But when we are involving ourselves in the process, you know, and just even understanding the reality of what we're dealing with in this system and in this structure, we, got, we, we have to give ourselves every possible opportunity to be successful. We can't do one, two things. We live in America right now where you can't even have one job. You got to have a job, two jobs, a side hustle, a skill, a trade. You know what I'm saying? You might have to bet on the weekends just to survive. So that's exactly how we have to survive within this country. We have to vote. We have to build our own economy. We got to raise our own children. We got to learn. We got to do everything thing possible to actually get a level of equity in this country. So I just want you to understand when you question me about why I'm calling out a candidate for telling me that racism, that America is not a racist country because I voted for that president or that vice president or that administration, 
You the one that should be quiet, not me. And that brings us to the end of our show, which was a, a wonderful show. Once again, Tamika, congratulations on the release of your book, State of Emergency. If you do not have that book, go get it right now, order it. Where can you order it at? Go to Amazon or anywhere else that you purchase Anywhere. books, and especially Black bookstores. Uh, that would be one place that I would start in your community is going to a small mom and pop shop where they sell books. The audio version of my book is also out. So for those people who are exercising or just unable to read a book for whatever reason, the audio version is out. Um, my son is in the book. He has a particular part that, you know, as my mom was reading the book a couple of days ago, she said, you know, um, my son's part really impacted her. My dad said that he thought Linda's part was very impactful as well, where she talks about the women's march in the book and some of what we experienced there. And then our brother, Angelo, he also um, is in the book. And, you know, uh, my dad said, you know, Angelo uses those big words. He's super smart. Um, but he's talking about policy and ways forward within our communities um, from, from a very, very, um, uh, you know, I want to say high level, but it's not so much that it's a high level. It's really just um, where we have to go as a people in order to be able to obtain power. And that's what Angelo speaks to in the book. The audio version is being read by two young people that are in this movement, young leaders. Um, one is Atlanta, from Atlanta, uh, Mary Pat. She's a, a young, fiery sister. And then from New York, um, my, my young sister, Nupal, our young sister, Nupal. And I just hope other people feel good about it. Dr. Angela Davis spoke to me and said, listen, you write it down, put it in the world and let it go. And so I finally let it go and it's out here. And I hope that people um, you know, are able to use it as a tool for transformation. Definitely, man. Once again, congratulations. We're proud of you. And this time we're going to end it a little, little different. I will not always be right. And this time, Tamika is not wrong at all because State of Emergency is probably going to be the number one seller in the world. And we will both always, always be authentic. Yes, sir. Peace. Thanks for joining Street Politicians. Peace. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, 
more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR. 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details.